Yo, 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 episode 39 of the It's Just a Game podcast. I am your host, Chris Peel. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, we got some stuff to get into today. We got some Eagles talk to get into. It's a shakeup with the coaching staff. We got uh, Joel B, who's going to be out indefinitely with a fracture in his hand. I think he's having, he's going to be having surgery, which that was a scary injury if you were watching that game the other day. Uh, but it it's not a good thing that Embiid is hurt and that he's out, but it might not be the worst thing in the world, and I will explain why in this episode. Um, I'm going to talk about all the divisional round matchups. The best weekend of football is here. Like, we're at the playoffs. This is pretty much what we want to see. Now, the playoffs are fun and all. Super Bowl week is fun. Conference championship week is fun, but this is the greatest weekend in the entire NFL for the entire season. And I'm going to explain why that. I'm going to get into all of that. I'm going to talk about all of the matchups. And we got some beef in the uh, NBA right now. We got Kendrick Perkins uh, and Kevin Durant going at it on Twitter. And on the court, we have Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren going at it. And I cannot wait to talk about that. And we're going to get into all of that pretty much. So um, stay tuned and just stay tuned. So the Eagles made a few changes to the coaching staff today. One day after Doug Peterson said he fully expects them to be back, he uh, had to let go Mike Grow, the offensive coordinator. Well, I guess now the former offensive coordinator. And also the wide receiver coach, uh, Carson Walsh. So um, I know so a lot of people were pretty much killing Doug Peterson for I guess backtracking on what he said about if they would be back or not. But I'm like, it is what it is. Like, it really doesn't matter to me. These guys are big guys. They're they're adults. They, they can take it. So, and one thing that I've learned over the years being a sports fan is whatever coaches or players, what they say to the media, like when they say things about what players would be there or players and players all the time, they lie. Oh, I'll be fine. I'll be, I'll be there next week. They lie all the time. And it's not even lying. It's just you're saying what people just want to hear at the time. So take it with a grain of salt. I'm not saying don't believe him at all because there's some truth to everything that they say. But don't take everything at face value. Don't just take everything and run with it and think, okay, he, he's right. Okay, no, nah, you, you pretty much just got to, again, take it with a grain of salt. But um, my growth was actually the scapegoat for last year. Now, last season, he was... The team really struggled a lot. So, you know, coming off of the uh, Super Bowl season, the magical 2017 top five offense, you know, top red zone offense, top third down offense, Carson Wentz MVP type season, running the ball, pat, like, every, no matter what we had, no matter what we were doing, everything was working. And when we struggled by the middle of the 2018 season, you know, you start hearing the chatters from the fans. Uh, maybe Frank Reich was the um, the mastermind behind everything that went right for the team last year. So I think people after last year even wanted Mike Grove gone. And I guess, you know, they went on a late little run. So that's probably why 
Doug Peterson and, you know, Jeffrey Lurie and everyone decided to bring him back. If they get a what, give him another year. Let's see if we can uh, turn it around again. And it didn't quite happen that way. It, it was better towards the end, but all season, the, the team really didn't put up numbers to their potential. Now, I know there were the injuries. There were a lot of injuries, especially on the offensive end, offensive side of the ball. I mean, every receiver was out. Zach Ertz missed a game late. Uh, Lane Johnson missed a few games. Jason Peters missed one game. Uh, Jorah Howard missed a couple games. Miles Sanders missed one game late in the season. Uh, Darren Sproles obviously was going. Corey Clement obviously got hurt early. It was a lot of injuries. So these are valid excuses. But I think just over the last two seasons, that was like... I think with Doug Peterson did a little reevaluating, just looking, it's like, you know what? I'm not gonna let these these playoff runs deter what was frustrating me over the last few years because my biggest fear was about making the playoffs this year was that Mike Grove will come back for a uh, another season, a third season as the offensive coordinator. And I think every Eagles fan knows it was time to make a change pretty much when it came to the offensive coordinator position because I mean th- there was no new ideas I mean late in the season they they started doing different things you know with Boston Scott and Miles Sanders and you know with Greg Ward but before that it just it was, it was too much bad things to just overcome the couple games at the end winning the NFC East so I just think it was time for a change and you know Carson Walsh which as a our receiver coach, what do you really want him to do, honestly, with the receivers he had to work with this year? He was probably just a scapegoat. Maybe he was just, again, he was just a scapegoat for that. So, but honestly, I really, <laughs> I really just don't know what you want wanted him to do with the receivers that he was given. I mean, that's like the one position that, that should have been safe because that was the one position that was pretty much hit the hardest. I mean, I feel like there was, two straight seasons where one position was just like decimated. Last season was the cornerbacks and this season was the wide receivers now. Hopefully that trend stops. Hopefully next season no one gets that hurt because the whole receiver court was out at one point. Like literally by the end of the season, every, I mean, if you look at the Redskins game, look at the first Redskins game, look at it from a Washington Redskins perspective. Just think about who, who, like who they were going against in week one and they were receivers they were going against in week 16. It's not even the same team. Like, it's not even, like, you didn't even, like, these guys weren't even in the NFL, like, in week one. It's not like they were, okay, they were, they were guys, they were just on the bench, and they were, like, fourth and fifth stringers. Like, Greg Ward was on the practice squad. Like, I think, actually, I don't even think he was on a practice squad earlier this year. I think he was playing in the AAF earlier, so. And, you know, Robert Davis was on, I think, another team's practice squad. I can't think on top of my head, but, you know, Deontay Burnett, like, these guys weren't in the NFL. These guys weren't on the Eagles roster, so it's just crazy to think of how badly depleted the wide receiver core really, really was, and that's really a reason that I can't really kill Carson Welch for not, I mean, maybe there was something in the locker room. Maybe there was just, he just wasn't doing a good job. There's a lot of, when it comes to coaching hires, now, when it comes to players, what we see on the field, that's what we get. Like, we see what happened. We can see Jason Kelsey missed the block here. Oh, Alshon Jeffrey dropped the pass here. Jalen Mills bit on the double move here. We can see all of that on, on TV. Or if you're at the game, 
there's a lot of things behind the scenes, like coaching wise, that, that we don't know about. So who knows what happened? Like maybe they didn't get along. There, there's a lot of things that can go into, you know, letting the coach go, which is a lot of things that we don't know about. So again, it was definitely time for a change, though. I mean, I'm not one guy to call for a guy to get fired, but I was definitely ready for the change to happen. So I'm glad we get to get some uh, new ideas in here. Now, part of me wants to say, okay, Duke Staley, this is your time now. And when Frank Reich left after the 2017 season to take his Indianapolis Colts head coaching job, a lot of people, myself included, thought that Duke Staley would be the next offensive coordinator because he's the assistant head coach. He's been here through three different head coaches, Andy Reid, Chip Kelly, Doug Peterson. Now, that's how you know you're a good coach because usually when a head coach gets fired, the rest of the staff gets fired. Like, usually they clean house. The next coach usually wants to bring his own guys in. He wants to bring his offensive coordinator in, his defensive coordinator, his special teams coach, and his offensive line coach. He pretty much wants to have the staff that he wants, you know. And the fact that Deuce Daly has stayed with this team shows you all you need to know. Now, you better make Deuce Daly the uh, offensive coordinator eventually because eventually he's going to get that job somewhere else. And we did not want to leave him because well, he, we did not want to lose him. Because as we know, Deuce Daly was a really big fan favorite even when he played here. Now, I remember growing up, you know, every time he touched the ball at home, you would hear the deuce coming from the crowd. So... We love us some Deuce Daly. I mean, he's one of the best running back coaches in the league. The running backs seem to love him. The whole offense seems to love him. So, this is your time to shine, Deuce Daly. So, Doug Peterson, make that move. Now, on the other end of it, you know, when you fire an offensive coordinator or a coach or whatever, you want to you want to bring new ideas and you want to get some outside perspective. So, like, okay, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. Now, if you hire Deuce Daly from within, you bring him up, you pretty much are going to be getting the same exact ideas that you've been that you've been getting for the last like couple years now because he's been on your staff. So it's probably not going to be anything fresh, but maybe it's just things that he can do differently that Mike Grow didn't even didn't see because you know Mike Grow is you know pretty much above he was above Deuce Daly so Deuce Daly might have had some kind of input but when it comes down to it Mike Grow was above him so he would probably value his opinion over a Deuce Daly even though that's not necessarily the case because Deuce Daly is the assistant head coach and he's he, he got that job for a reason so you know he's doing something right but I definitely wouldn't mind seeing Deuce Daly become the offensive coordinator. So, I would I would definitely love to see that. Now, on the other end of the uh, ball, Jim Schwartz, he interviewed for the Cleveland Browns head coaching job. Obviously, the Cleveland Browns are, this is like an annual thing. They're always looking for a head coach. I mean, I think they've had like 27 head coaches in the last five years. So, obviously, I'm joking a little bit. But... They've had a lot of head coaches, and they've been trying, and they gave Freddie Kitchens one year, and he's out of there. So they're looking for a new one. Now, Jim Schwartz was the coach before with the Detroit Lions, a head coach, and he was back there being, a, I think, a defensive coordinator for the Titans, I believe, before he came on board with us. So, And he, I think he did a really good job. Now, I'm warning Eagles fans right now, the grass is not always greener on the other side. It's not. Like, a lot of people just want to look at a certain game or a certain quarter or a certain possession 
and just think that Jim Schwartz just was terrible. He had this terrible defense, man. Now, he's been here for four years, and he's been pretty solid for three of those years. Now, like I said, the cornerbacks were pretty decimated last year, so I think last year you have to give him kind of a mulligan, especially coming off of a Super Bowl win. Like, I don't think people realize how I know they gave up 33 points in the Super Bowl, but Jim Schwartz is the Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator. I don't know why people are acting like Jim Schwartz is just this bum that doesn't know anything. Like, Jim Schwartz has probably forgotten more about football than most of the fans know. So let's not act like he's just some scrub. Again, besides the 2018 season, they were pretty good defensively. They were top 10 in yards this year. They were 15th in points, which, you know, the top half of the league, at least. Um, They were 13th in yards in 2016, which was his first year. They were fourth in yards and points in 2017, which, you know, that was a magical year. But um, they've pretty much been a pretty solid defense. Now, you know, they haven't had like a top five defense outside of 2017. They haven't had like a consistent top five defense. This isn't the Legion of Boom Seahawks. This isn't the 49ers from this year. This isn't the 2000 Ravens. This is not the 2002 Buccaneers. It, it, this is not none of those teams. But they were pretty solid. And I'm not sitting here telling you that Jim Schwartz is this amazing coach and he's going to make this amazing coach and he was this great defensive coordinator. I'm not sitting here telling you that. What I'm telling you is beware of what you're wishing for. Now, when the news came out that he was interviewing for the head coaching job, people were just like, oh, good riddance. Like, oh, he needs to go. But again, I know he had some he had some bad games this year. You know, Dwayne Haskins carved him up and, you know, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick carved him up. They didn't look that good against Atlanta. Now, for all the road games, they didn't really look that good. They were looking good at home, though. And I know you have to be consistent, but the defense has a lot of holes in it. I mean, we knew that the linebacking core was going to be a weakness. Um, the secondary was going to be a weakness. Now, the safeties, they look good on paper. You look at the names, Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, and you think, like, that's a pretty solid, you know, safety core pretty solid but they don't really make any extraordinary plays i mean when's the last time malcolm jenkins made one of those crazy interceptions i remember him running back the interception against new england in 2015 i remember him running back the interception against uh san fran in 2014 i remember rodney mcleod you know brandon cooks trying to jump over him in the super bowl and he tackled him i remember him making hits like when he played for st louis i remember like all of that stuff was the last time anybody in the secondary made a great play? Like one of those plays you like, wow, like like I'm, you see other cornerbacks doing that. We don't have any just great playmakers. I mean, Nigel Bradham is a good player. He's a solid player. When's the last time you saw him make a real like great play? Okay, he made a great play against the Washington Redskins in week 15. That was, you know, it was a Hail Mary situation. Dwayne Haskins just let her with the ball back. Nigel Bradham just happened to Stand at the right right spot, and he ran it back. Even though he didn't really have to, he could have just took the ball down and just got a, got an out there with a win. Okay, he had an interception against the Green Bay Packers to ice the game. Again, he was just in the right spot at the right time. I mean, Craig James the one that knocked the ball up, and Nigel Bradham just happened to be there. He just was standing there, and he tried to run it back. Even though he could have just went down. Also, 
Oh, nice break. Now I think about it. You have a habit of just trying to run it, get a touchdown all the time. Just get the ball and go down. But um, like the defensive line is really good. We know the defensive line. That's the strength of the team. So, but you know the cornerbacks. Again, we don't have anybody. Like I love Jalen Mills to death. That's my guy. But what the last time he made like a great player? He felt somebody make a, a interception or like I mean Sidney Jones made more plays at the end of the year than any of our cornerbacks did. Avanti Maddox was solid, but then he had a terrible playoff game. But. Again, we need some exciting players on this defense to, you know, make some plays. You can only do so much with what you have to work with. So, and again, I'm not sitting here telling you that Jim Schwartz is, you know, oh, he's surely going to be missed. I mean, I'm sure we can replace him, but let's not act like this defense was terrible because they were the 22nd ranked defense. Actually, no, they were the 30th ranked defense in yards in 2015, 28th and 14, 29th and 13. That was the three years Chip Kelly was here. Now, we remember Chip Kelly ran this, you know, up-tempo offense, so the defense was on the field a lot. So the numbers for the defense are going to look a little worse than they probably are. But, I don't know, going from the 3-4 with Chip Kelly and them back to the 4-3 with uh, Jim Swartz, I was really excited to see. And he was really good. So I think it was really solid. Again, just need some playmakers on this defense. They get some playmakers on this defense. I think they'll be good. Now, whether Jim Sports take takes the job or not, we'll see how it goes. But again, just be careful what you wish for, for real, because Jim Sports has been really solid. Now, again, just need some better playmakers on this team. And I think he'll be a better defensive coordinator for it. So that's just all I got to say about that. The grass is not always green on the other side. You really have to calm down because while they don't have a top 10 defense or anything like that, they can get after the quarterback. Need some playmakers. <laughs> That's it. Like if we just get some guys that can just make some plays. Like Nathan Gary making a play against the Jets. Like that was really good. But we need more of that. So that's that's all I want to say about that. Just let's, let's calm down with the um Jim Sport heat. In other Philadelphia-related news, Joel Embiid suffered a nasty finger injury against the Thunder the other night. His finger was pretty much bent out of shape. It was crooked. It was ugh, it was really, really nasty. Really nasty stuff. Um, he came back in the game, though. They, they taped it up. He played the rest of the game. And I'm thinking, like, oh, good. Like, you know, cause, you know, you definitely knew the jokes were coming. Oh, Joel Embiid's injury prone. Something's always wrong with him. He missed this game here. He missed. He's missed about nine games already this year. And when stuff like that happens, you can't even call him injury injury prone for the finger thing because that's just like a freak accident and a freak thing. And you know he has to have surgery now because I think he has some kind of fracture in his finger or fracture in his hand or some something some medical mumbo jumbo. So he's going to be re he's out quote-unquote indefinitely and if you don't know what indefinitely means that pretty much means we'll see like you're out until further notice I mean, we, we don't know so he's going to have surgery on the on the hand he's going to be uh reevaluated in one to two weeks so who knows how long he'll be out maybe he'll come back in the one to two weeks i, I doubt it though coming off of surgery so i mean he might be back after the all-star break was what i'm guessing again 
I'm not a doctor. I don't really know all this medical stuff. So I, I don't know how long he can be out for that. Now, you know, finger injuries and like stuff like that, you can pretty much play through that. I mean, when, once you get to like the legs and knees and like your back and stuff like that, that's tough to play through. But like stuff like this, you can probably play through it. As we saw, he played through it the rest of the Thunder game. So that was good. But um, again, like I said in the intro of this episode, I it's not a good thing. My initial reaction was, dang, man, he's out again. Like we can't win without Embiid. I mean, Embiid is the, I don't care about Jokic. I don't care about whoever else. Embiid is the best center in the NBA. There's a reason that Shaq and Charles Barkley said he don't want it. And there's a reason that Shaq and Charles Barkley and every other person calls him out. There's a reason that Stephen A. Smith calls him out for having zero points against the Toronto Raptors because he's the best big man in the league. He's the most dominant big man in the league when he wants to be the most dominant. Now, with him being out and all, that's bad. But then I thought about it and I think like, okay, anytime Joel Embiid misses a game, the first thing I think about is Ben Simmons. And every time Ben Simmons, every time Joel Embiid misses the game, Ben Simmons seems to just have more aggressiveness. And there's a reason for that. They don't really complement each other that well. And J- Jalen Rose said this and he worded it that way. And I was just thinking that too. Over the last couple of years, just watching, like these two, they, they're good. They're really, really good players. They're like franchise cornerstones. They're the stars of the team. They're the face of the franchise. But them two playing together, it just doesn't really, it, it doesn't fit. Like they're two good players, and that's the one thing about basketball is that you can't really, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's kind of like having a, a two news anchors that just don't get along, or like it, it just sometimes you, you can't really force chemistry, and like their games don't complement each other very well because Joel and B needs space to obviously post up and you know man the paint and be the be the big man. But Ben Simmons, he's not going to take outside shots. He's not going to take shots outside the paint. So he's clock, he's just clogging up a lot of space. And the double team is just there because the defender is sagging off of Ben Simmons. So the only way you can do it is you have to have Ben Simmons closer to the rim. But you can't have him close to the rim. You have him be close to the rim. And then you have Al Horford that's also close to the rim. And then you're messing up his game because now you, Al Horford is pretty much... Um, downgraded to a, a outside or a spot up shooter you don't want that from Al Horford so it, it just throws everything out of whack so maybe with Joel Embiid being out it's not that we want to see it but maybe Al Horford being the five down he can play center again he can you know play more center and he can actually you know take up some of the posts he did a good job with that uh, tonight against his former team the Celtics we'll get to that and you know, Ben Simmons be more aggressive. And Ben Simmons, again, every time Joel doesn't play, Ben Simmons just seems to like kick it up a notch. He seems to think, okay, now I have to score because when Joel is in, you know, you got to get the big guy going. Like he's the star of the team. He's the scorer. You have to, you have to get him going. So maybe it'll be a good thing that he's hurt. I mean, it's never a good thing when your best player is hurt. But I mean, we'll see what the other guys are made of. We can see what else we have in this team. Like, you know, Al Horford and Tobias Harris and then Ben Simmons. And we just... Another thing about Ben Simmons, another thing that Jalen Rose said, he's been saying this for like, I think three years now since Ben Simmons has been in the league. He's been saying that he's shooting with his wrong hand, with the wrong hand. And the more and more I watch, I think he's right. And I actually think Ben Simmons' form is way better and smoother. You can tell he was in the gym working on it. 
you can tell he was in the gym working on his actual shot like his actual form it looks way smoother it has looked awkward the, like previous two years it's just looked like he doesn't want to shoot look like he's never taken a shot day in his life but this year it actually looks smoother which is um attributed to the work that he put in the gym during the off season but when you see him in the paint and you see him dribbling and the, if the ball's in the air and he he's going for a layup and he does his little hook shot he instantly goes to the right hand and every single time i've never seen him take a hook shot with his left hand that pretty much lets me know that he's probably a right-hander which is not necessarily the case because i personally am a left-handed person and you know I, I don't play basketball as much as i used to but when i did you know i would lay the ball up with my right hand if i did like a hook shot it would be my right hand and i dribbled the ball in my right hand so it doesn't necessarily mean that he's right-handed because i do a lot of things in my right hand but i i shoot my left and i like write everything on my left but yeah I, i'm trying to think of like things i do on a daily day-to-day basis i mean I, I do a lot of things with my right hand except for right i can't write with my right hand but mainly a lot of other things I, I can do with my right hand so maybe that's the case for him maybe he's ambidextrous maybe and honestly i wouldn't have been surprised if this year he came back and shot the ball with his right hand it's not really something you can just do in the middle of, of a season you can't just wake up on february 12th and just decide you know what i'm gonna start shooting right here and now that was not gonna work but in the off season maybe maybe one day we'll see but um, again, I think with Joel and B being out, it will really help Ben Simmons a lot. I mean, his numbers could definitely skyrocket. And we, like I said, we beat the Boston Celtics for the third time. And I'm so happy that we are finally beating this team because the last couple of years have just been like, they have just beat us like numerous times. And it's so frustrating not being able to beat the team. It didn't matter who was playing. Like, I mean, Kyrie could have been out. Like, it just did not matter. Like, we just could not beat these guys and i think at the end of last year we finally like figured it out and now that we took you know their best defender out horford now the ball's in our court now and we only have to play it one more time i haven't checked the date we usually play about four times a year i don't know when that game is but it's actually kind of weird and strange that we've played him three times already and it's not even an all-star break so we're gonna play it one more time and we won't see him again so we'll see about that but again, I'm just really, really glad that we beat them. It's just, and we were down by as much as 15 and they, they just stayed and they went on the run right before halftime. They got it down to, I think five or seven. And sometimes that's what you have to do. If you can just get it down to like a certain point to where, you know, you're right back in it, just stay with it. And you know, you can win it in the end because when you're the more talented team, most likely you're going to win. So, um, I just, I'm just so happy that we beat the Celtics. I really am. So, beat them three times. I mean, they, were, they lost four in a row before they beat Oklahoma City. So, I was really starting to get nervous about this team. I still think they have a ceiling, and I still think they have to make a trade. They have to do something with this team. But for now, everything is all fine and good. Even with and beat out indefinitely. We'll see how they play when they go on the road. Because, as we know, that's how they struggle. They struggle a lot on the road. Because... I just don't know if they have maybe the mental toughness. Maybe they just don't get up for these teams because they beat Boston on the road. They beat, they beat Portland on the road. They can win some. They can win games on the road when they want to. But 
for some reason they they lose the teams like Indiana and they lose the teams like um or uh, Orlando like they lose these BS teams to these these BS games to these like these trash teams like and it, it really pisses me off. But um, we're gonna see what Ben Simmons is made of. We're gonna see what Josh Richardson is made of. Josh Richardson dropped 28 points tonight, so congrats to him. That's my guy right there. So you know, former Miami Heat player did his thing. So. So, speaking of the Miami Heat, Jimmy Butler and TJ Warren got into it a little, a little bit last night. Just, uh, you know, they were just wishing each other a happy holiday. They probably, you know what? Happy holidays to you too, brother. How's your family? How's your family? I think that's what they were doing. No, they definitely were not doing that. So, right in, the, I think it was the third quarter, Miami Heat were up about 22, 24 points, something like that. And, you know, Jimmy Butler came... He went to the right. He pretty much faked to go into the screen. And then he like went around him. TJ Warren probably thought the screen was coming. He thought he was gonna go around that. And then Jimmy Butler hit him with the fast move, pulled his arm. And TJ Warren pulled it, pulled Jimmy Butler's arm. Jimmy Butler did not like that at all. Jimmy, he turned around. I'm telling you right now, I thought he was about to punch him dead in his face. And if you watch the play, he balled his fist up. He was legit about to swing. And Steven Jackson, a former NBA player, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, out All the Smoke, he has said 95% of the league doesn't want to fight. Most of that stuff is off of shows, off of TV. These guys don't really want to fight, though. And it would have been true in that case if it was somebody else, but I just watched Jimmy Butler. And being a Sixers fan, even before he became a Sixer, I always liked the way Jimmy Butler played. He always played with an edge. I always loved watching this dude. So he might've really wanted to fight, but I thought, I think he just thought, you know what? I'm Jimmy Butler. I'm the star of this team. He's TJ Warren. Would it really be worth it? He probably thought about that fine that will come. Not only the fine there, you would definitely get suspended. Then you'll be losing game checks there. So he probably thought about the money for a little while. I was like, you know what? Let me, let me not punch this uh, TJ Warren dead in his face because I could, but it would hurt me much more than a punch would hurt him. So it's not really worth it. So smart move on him, not throwing the punch. And after they, you know, they both got double technicals. After they calmed it down, he came out. Jimmy Butler got the ball back and TJ Warren was on him and he just threw him an elbow. And you could tell Jimmy Butler was just trolling. He did it pretty much on purpose because... After he threw the elbow, he called the, the a referee called the offensive foul. Jimmy Butler just uh, tossed the ball down and was walking back. And TJ Warren, uh, he started taunting, started like you know clapping in his face. And then Jimmy Butler, like, actually before that, Jimmy Butler said, "You trash." He said, "You're effing trash." That was actually their first altercation. I, I read the lips and I tried to read TJ Warren's lips after the second altercation, but I could not make it out. I rewound, I rewound it like. 17 different times. I cannot make it up. Maybe something wrong with me. Maybe I'm just not good at reading lips, but that's I, I couldn't make it out. So if you guys know what he said, please let me know. I would love to know what he said there. But TJ Warren said something about like I'll F you up or I'll beat you up or something like that, maybe. But this is a family show, so we're not gonna get too much into that. My mom listens to this podcast. Hi mom. And um yeah, and TJ Warren actually got ejected. Jimmy Butler didn't know, so which is crazy. Then after the game, you know, T, uh, Jimmy talked a little more trash. 
to say he's trash like he cannot check me he put an instagram post up circling next time they play march 20th saying we'll see what you're about and i cannot i'm so mad that the game is not till march 20th i mean it's january 10th right now we have to wait two months and 10 days before we see these guys play again and it's not like tj warren is an all-star we're not going to see these guys together at the all-star game like who knows what's going to happen maybe in two months they might be over it and i don't want that to happen like i want to see the smoke i want to see this i love to see this this is funny this is good basketball right here there's too many players that out here don't they're too friendly everyone is way too friendly right now these days i don't want to see jersey spots at the every game i don't need to see like you guys hanging out after the game i don't want to see that like i don't I don't want to see you comment on his Instagram post that, oh, my God, I don't want to see that. I want old school players. Jimmy Butler is an old school player. TJ Warren is a, you know, average NBA player. Now, you know, a lot of people say, oh, TJ Warren's not trash, which is actually kind of the truth. And because he dropped 35, actually, the previous game against Charlotte. He's actually from North Carolina. So him dropping 35 in his home state was actually pretty dope. And it's funny that we're talking about TJ Warren because I remember... I talked about the Sixers a couple weeks ago when they lost to the um, Pacers on New Year's Eve. And I remember saying, like, did we really get blown out by a team led by T.J. Warren? And it's just funny and ironic that, you know, T.J. Warren is coming up again. This time for different reasons. But this is why I like Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler is an old school guy. He's not scared of nobody. And he actually said that in the interview after the game. He said, I'm not scared of nobody. He talked about all this, oh, we're going to fight or whatever. And Jimmy just does not back down again. I like this dude when he was with Chicago. I liked him with Minnesota. Then when he came here, I just, I didn't want to lose Jimmy. I really didn't, but there's nothing we could have did. We offered him the max. He didn't take it, so it is what it is. But I st I'm still going to still be a Jimmy Butler fan. That's still my guy. Like, I'm not going to hate on Jimmy because he's not playing for the, not playing for the Sixers anymore. That's still my guy. So I I'm, I'm glad to see you doing your thing, Jimmy. So, you know, talk trash to these dudes. That's what you need to do. So we had another NBA beef. This one was on Twitter. Obviously, it was on Twitter because it involves Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant and Kendrick Perkins got into it a little bit. No, uh, Kendrick Perkins went on Twitter and said that Russell Westbrook was the best uh, player to ever put on the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Thunder jersey. Um, some guy, I don't know if he was a writer, he disagreed with him. And obviously, we're talking about Kevin Durant. Going to just offer my opinion on that situation. Um, Kevin Durant, let's let's get that out the way. Kevin Durant is the best player to ever wear Oklahoma City Thunder uniform. And I'm not including the Seattle Supersonics. And honestly, if you want to include the Supersonics, I would still go Kevin Durant. Because, I mean, if you're thinking about it, I mean, Ray Allen, Sean Kemp, Gary Payton. I would probably put Kevin Durant over all of them, but if we're talking just Thunder, just strictly a Thunder uniform, not the Supersonics, then we can definitely uh, go uh, Kevin Durant over Russell Westbrook. I know Russell Westbrook has done a lot for the city. I know a lot of people like to just glorify the fact that he be, he was loyal to the team until he got traded. You know, he he, he stayed the courts. He didn't leave. 
I know all of that, but like, come on, the facts are the facts. Look at the numbers. Like, Kevin Durant was the best player. If it wasn't for LeBron James being in the league, Kevin Durant would have been the best player in the league. He would have been the best player on the planet. So, let's not forget all that. I know there's a stigma because he went to Golden State, but talent is talent. I don't care what you did. Like, he still was the best player to ever put on a uniform. So, and you know, somebody said, um, the guy he replied that Russell Westbrook was Mister. You know, get to the second round and get exit in the second round. Well, which I don't actually I don't even think he's won a playoff series since since Kevin Durant has left. And then Kendrick Perkins replied, "Oh, Kevin Durant uh, got exited. He got knocked out the playoffs in the second round of the year. He was there, which is true because Russell Westbrook did. He got injured one year. I think Patrick Beverly did something to his knee or something. He." Ended up missing the rest of the postseason, and Kevin Durant, he couldn't get past the second round, which, you know, that, that's a valid reason, like, sure. But then, you know, they went back and forth, and Kendrick Perkins pretty much said, oh, you joined the 73-1 team, which, I mean, and that's the that's the one thing I have an issue with. And once I saw that, I'm like, okay, look, now we're taking it too far now. It's not that we're taking it too far, but, like, we have to get over the fact that he joined this team. It's like, he went to join the winner. At the time, I know it seemed like a... The easy way out. It really did. I know it seemed like, you know, I'm going to just join this team. Like, they're already three-fourths of the way there. I'm just going to join them at the the 10-yard line, and I'm going to run in for for the touchdown right here. I know it it seemed like the easy thing, but it wasn't that easy. Like, it's not easy to join the team that's filled with All-Stars and implement yourself into that team and make a mark on that team. And Kevin Durant was the best player on that team. Like, it's not like he just rolled the coattails of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Draymond Green. Like, he actually won the MVPs for that team. So, again, it's like if he was just on that team and he was just along for the ride, he averaged 21 points or something, and he was just a guy there, then you can say he rolled the coattails of the Golden State Warriors. But he actually implemented himself, and he took over that team. Like, that became his team. Yeah, he was still Steph Curry's team, you know, because he's been there for years. It's still Steph Curry City and all that. Like Golden State is the the house that you know that that Steph Curry built. Like that, it's Steph Curry's team, obviously. But let's not act like Kevin Durant was just some slouch that was along for the ride. And I just think at this point, after getting to the finals twice, and then when they when Kevin Durant got hurt last year, that's the reason. That's the only reason that the Toronto Raptors won. If Kevin Durant was healthy. The Golden State Warriors would have been three-time champions, and who knows what would have happened. Maybe he stayed, maybe he still would have left, who knows. But that shows you how important Kevin Durant was. And I just think at this point in 2020, we have to get over the fact that Kevin Durant joined the Warriors. It's over. It happened. It's done. Like I said, at the time, I wasn't really happy with the decision. But inside of year one, it's like, get over it. Like, really, just get over it. It happened. Jesus. Like, come on. Like, and Kendrick Perkins, like, this guy talks so much trash for a guy that wasn't that good. Like, I mean, I've never seen a guy, like, milk a championship, like, for more than he has. Like, he's milked the championship on the 08 team. Like, he actually, he contributed defensively, but come on, man. And Kevin Durant even said that in the, um, in one of his Twitter replies where he said, yeah, I got knocked out the second round because my starting center, you know, averaged two and three. And he said, oh, you should have worked in a game like I did. Which is true, Kevin Durant. Like, whether you want to say what he did or not, Kevin Durant is still a top five player in the league. And, like, Kendrick Perkins isn't even a top five player on his own team every night. So, like, it is what it is. But 
I just wanted to get that out the way. And I know, you know, Kendrick Perkins is a great trash talker and being a great player doesn't just give you the the like the will to say whatever you want and being a bad player doesn't mean you don't have an opinion. You can have an opinion, but I just think at this point we have to get over it. I think we have to move past the whole Kevin Durant joined the 73-1 team after having a 3-1 lead. I just think it's dead. Like it's an old, it's a tired argument. At this point, it's just tired. Like again, get over it. It's like the, it's like the jokes about Kobe. Oh, he doesn't pass. Like it, it's just, it's like the light skin jokes about Steph Curry. It's just so much that you just gotta, like, please come up with new material. Please, please just come up with something new. And you know, everybody wanted to be coming at Kevin Durant for replying to people on Twitter, and oh, he's so sensitive. But like. If you're good at your craft and you know you're good at your craft and the only thing I will say is like stop replying to people that's beneath you. You know, you're replying to Kendrick Perkins. That's valid. He's an NBA. He was in the NBA. He actually played with Kendrick Perkins. You want to reply to those guys? Like, sure. But don't reply to just regular Joe Schmo that works at the library part time. Don't reply to the barista that works at Starbucks. Don't reply to the guy that's um, on break at his office job and he's just sending tweets out because he knows he, he's going to get an answer out of you. Don't reply to that guy, Kevin Durant. That's the only thing I will say. You want to reply to uh, other NBA players, your, your peers, you want to defend yourself, I don't have a problem with that. But stop, stop replying down. You're Kevin Durant. Why do you care what these people have to say? They wouldn't, They couldn't even hold your jock strap. Like they can't, make, they couldn't make 10 jump shots in a row if their life depended on it. So, Stop replying to these guys. That's the only thing I will say to Kevin Durant. But if, again, if you're good at your craft and you know you're good at your craft, you want to defend your craft. If people want to, you know, talk about you, you know, your initial reaction is to like, no. And Kevin Durant is not getting personal with people. He's not, he's not saying, oh, your mom this and your mom that, and he's not saying, oh, you suck and you suck at your job. He's just talking basketball. Like Kevin Durant literally just wants to talk basketball. And that's one thing I like about Kevin Durant. He doesn't care about all the, all the nonsense, all the. The, all the um, all, all the, like whatever. There's a lot of stuff that other people care about. He's not showing you what he ate for lunch, and he's not showing you like, oh, this I got this new car. He's not showing you the change that he bought. He literally just wants to talk basketball. That's it. And I can respect that from Kevin Durant. So I, I don't mind him replying to people. I just think you don't need to reply down. I just don't think you need to reply to again regular Joe Schwann that works at Starbucks. That's probably can't even get your coffee order right but he wants to tell Kevin Durant that he made the wrong decision how about you make the right decision and get the coffee right next time so cut it up so on to bigger and better things um the divisional round is here the NFL divisional um round of the playoffs this is the best weekend in sports so the reason why it's the best weekend in sports because you have all your teams coming off a bye you have your one and two seeds coming off a bye Usually, your top two seeds are really, really good teams. This year, I think we have, like, three really good teams and one team that's like, eh, I don't really trust them. But then you have your teams that are coming off a wildcard win. So you have teams coming off of wins going into stadiums of teams that are really, really good. Some teams are coming off, like, all the teams are coming off a bye. Certain some seasons, you know, you have guys that are you have teams that haven't played in like three weeks because they've had everything clinched. Not really the case here because every team except for Baltimore, pretty much they had they had to play every every game. They had to play week 17. Now sometimes you get those situations where 
Week 17 is here, and they already clinched the number one seed, or they clinched the number two seed, and they can just rest everybody. Sometimes I've seen, I remember the 0 Eagles, that they would arrest their guys the last two weeks of the season because they had the number one seed clinched by week 15. So it happens sometimes, but not the case here, like I said, except for uh, Baltimore. So um, I'm going to start, usually it goes by relevance to the game, like the ones that, like the games that people care about really the most. That's usually what they start with, and then by the end is the game that people care about them people care about the most. Or the first game is the one that they care about the least, and then you know you just work your way from there. And um first game, 4:30 on Saturday, you got Minnesota and San Fran. San Fran is seven, seven and a half, seven point favorites, which no, rightfully so. Again, I did not expect Minnesota to win that game. Adam Thielen, he's he's gonna be questionable with an ankle injury. I saw him. I saw him on TV on, um, at practice. It looked like he was limping around a little bit, so I had to guess, like, he's probably not going to play. This didn't look good to me. If he can play, like, awesome, but, I mean, he missed most of the year. If he can't play, then Stefan Diggs will have to step up, and that's one thing. I know they have two really good receivers, but when Adam Thielen was out for most of the time, Stefan Diggs was doing really, really good. His numbers were really good, and with him being back, you know, Stefan Diggs' numbers went down a little bit, but, you know, you still have two great receivers, so two is always better than one. You just have to figure out a way to implement them both, especially in the playoffs. You have to figure out a way. But San Fran, they're no slouchy. I mean, you've been able to pass against them, like, the last couple of weeks, but to start the year, you really weren't passing the ball against them at all. So we'll see how Minnesota does. Again, I think San Fran has been the best team in the NFC all year, even times when... And it's funny because New Orleans, a lot of people were on a New Orleans bandwagon. I never really was. I was. It was just something about them just didn't seem right. And, you know, it happened against Minnesota, apparently. So, I guess, you know, something really wasn't right with that team. Um, Again, Minnesota, I really did not expect them to win that game, though. Even though I didn't really believe in uh, New Orleans like other people did, I expect them to at least win the wildcard game. Definitely expected that. But Minnesota went in there and won. And I would doubt them and say, oh, there's no way they can go in San Fran and win. But they went to New Orleans and won the game. So we'll see. And a lot of people make bigger the fact that last time they had a big win against New Orleans in the playoffs, they laid an egg against my Eagles. So maybe that'll happen this week. But I really do. Like, if I had to pick, I would probably take San Fran minus the seven and at least taking the win outright. Because I just think they're a way better team. I think Minnesota has a good defense, but I think San Fran has gone against good defenses this year and has done really well. And San Francisco can beat you in a multitude of ways, which is why I think they're the best team, at least in the NFC. I think Baltimore is the best team in the league, but in the NFC, San Fran definitely is. And, you know, it makes sense because they're the number one seed. So, but, um, yeah, I, I like San Fran in this game. I really do. So, Jimmy G, this is your time to shine, baby. Your first playoff game, like, do your thing. And Jimmy G actually does have, have a Super Bowl ring, so don't forget that. He he was on that team in 2014, the Patriots, that won a, uh, the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. So, you know, he hasn't actually started a Super Bowl game or started a playoff game, but he's he's been at least in those situations. He's seen Tom Brady in those situations. And if you think he didn't learn something from Tom Brady, then you're highly mistaken. So I would definitely expect San Fran to win this game, though. Then we go to the Tennessee and Baltimore. So, you know, Saturday we have your two 60s playing. 
against your one seeds. And I know one and six, it seems like a big discrepancy, but it really isn't. Like, because, you know, again, your six seeds are coming up. If they're playing in divisional round, they're coming off a win against the three seeds. So they're coming off a win against a really good team. So they, they can do it again. I mean, we've seen teams, we've seen six seeds win all the time. I mean, I remember the Jets going into New England and winning in 2010. Um, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think they were the sixth seed in 2005, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So we've seen it before. So uh, the Giants in 2011 were a wild card team, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, so again, we've seen it before. But um, Baltimore, best team in the league. I don't think Derrick Henry is going to be able to run the ball against Baltimore like they did against New England. So I think Ryan Tannehill is actually going to have to throw the ball a little bit. He didn't have to really do much against New England because they were able to just run the ball 32 times with Derrick Henry and torch him for 184 yards. But they're not going to be able to just go to Baltimore and just try to run it down their throws. They can try, but they're not really going to be that successful. I mean, they maybe they can run a little bit against them, but they're not going to. I can promise you right now, like I'm literally, I would put this on my life. Actually, I probably shouldn't do that because I, I did the same thing with Minnesota last week. But I could almost guarantee that Tennessee is not going to be able to go into Baltimore and just run the ball like they did against New England. I just don't see that happening for real, realistically. So I think Baltimore, I think Lamar Jackson had a terrible playoff game last year, and I think he's going to be way hungrier this year. And I think he'll use that as motivation to have a better game this year. I think he's a much better player this year, this time around. This time last year, he was not a good quarterback at all. I think I, don't, I still don't think he's a great quarterback, like, you know, a pocket quarterback, but he's getting better. He's going to keep getting better. And, you know, he's going to win MVP this year. And he has to prove that he was worth winning MVP. And this is your time to shine. Like, MVPs are made in the postseason. If you look at any, like, top 10 quarterback list and you look at the top moments these are the moments here it's the same as basketball like playoffs is where legends happen like all that regular season stuff you can do stuff and put up numbers and do all of that and do all this but here is where you really have to shine so Lamar Jackson go do your thing and Ryan Tannehill is your first playoff start as well who would have knew that Ryan Tannehill would be here in the playoffs right now after beating New England? Like that's if you would have told me that two years ago, I would be I would have called you crazy for real. If you would have told me Ryan Tannehill would 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 have went into with any team, I don't care what team. If you would have told me that Ryan Tannehill would have went into New England and beat Tom Brady in the wild card round, I would have been like, no, you're crazy. Like you're smoking crack. But but um, yeah, I would I would definitely give Tennessee a chance. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't count them out completely because. I've said this for weeks. I mean, I was saying this week 10, I think. I, I, I wouldn't count out the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee is actually a really, really good team. And people were not really on the bandwagon. They really weren't on people's radar. But I've been watching them for weeks now, and they really impressed me just the way they play. This is They play playoff football, though. Like, you know, you run the ball, you play defense, and, you know, you make big plays from A.J. Brown. That's what they do. And it'll be a really, really good game. Physical game. Then we'll go to Sunday. We're gonna go to another AFC game, uh, Houston and Kansas City. Houston is um coming off a win, but I, again, I, I still don't really trust them. I, I think they're too reliant on Deshaun Watson making great plays, and Kansas City is just—I just think they're a better football team. And 
Houston, you know, when they're coming off an emotional win, they always seem to have a letdown. Like, we've seen them beat New England and then lose to Denver. And we've just, all year, they've just been really, really inconsistent. So, coming off a big win against the uh, Buffalo Bills, you know, they had to exude a lot of inter- a lot of energy just to come back. I think Kansas City has this. I mean, they're the number two seed for a reason. They pretty much were the number three seed all year. They don't have the one seed like they did last year. So, you know, they might have to go to Baltimore for the championship game. They might, they're not going to have that home game this year. But I think Patrick Mahomes is playing really, really well right now. He has a multitude of weapons. I think Chris Jones and that defensive line is definitely better than last year. So this is honestly probably my best bet. Like if I had to bet on one thing happening this weekend, it would be Kansas City win win it against Houston. Like the other games, I could definitely see them going the other way. Like I could see Tennessee potentially upsetting Baltimore, which that's a little more that's unlikely also. I could see Minnesota going into San Fran and winning. And I could definitely see Seattle going to Green Bay. We'll get to that matchup. But I think the one best bet, the one thing that will happen is definitely Kansas City beat Houston. And I'm willing to say that. I'm willing to put that on the line. So if it doesn't happen, then I'll say that's where I was wrong. I made a mistake. But I just think Kansas City is a much better team than Houston. More well-rounded team. Houston doesn't have that. You know, years ago, Houston had a, like, really, really, before they got the quarterback, they had a really good defense. And the defense is what had to win the games and keeping them competitive in, in the AFC. Now they're more of an offensive team. So the defense kind of suffered from that a little bit. So. But um, then we're going to go to Seattle and Green Bay. And it seems like these two teams just play a lot, it seems like. It seems like every week, like every year, they play in the playoffs. I mean, there was the game in 2012 with the, the backup referees. That was controversial. We had the, the NFC Championship game in 2014, which a crazy comeback by the Seattle Seahawks that had an onside kick. It had a crazy uh, catch by uh, Jermaine Curse. You know, we had the, they played the first week of the season in 2014 again, I believe. Um, but it seems like they never really played in Green Bay. It seems like every time they play, they play in Seattle. So that's the first game I can really remember. That's, you know, you can go back to 2003 when Matt Hasselbeck said, we're going to get the ball, we're going to score. And then Al Harris ended up running the ball back on the pick six. So Seattle and Green Bay has been in some, some big matchups over the years. So going back to even just their early in this, in the 2000s, early in this, um, uh, dec- early in this millennium century, I'm sorry, early in the century. But um, again, I think Green Bay is the one team I really just don't trust out of all the all these home teams. This is definitely the biggest potential for a quote unquote upset. Now Seattle was like, again, they were like a yard short of becoming the number one seed, so they could, if they get the, get that touchdown, that last possession against San Fran in Week 17, they're not even they're not in Green Bay right now. They're playing at home. And they're playing against Minnesota at home. So they came that close to being the number one seed. So I don't. And the reason that they're just four and a half point underdogs tells you all you need to know. Because all the other spreads are like big. San Francisco seven. Uh, Baltimore nine and a half. Kansas City nine and a half. Now this is only a four and a half point spread. That tells you all you need to know about how much Green Bay is just. They're not that much better than Seattle. Seattle is just. They're, they're right there with them. So. And um, I'm sorry, I don't think any one of these teams are like Super Bowl destined. I think I'm sorry, I think the winner of the San Fran Minnesota game 
will most likely be in the Super Bowl. Again, I could be wrong. I've learned one thing as a sports fan, especially an NFL fan. NFL is way different than the NBA and like MLB or something. You really never know what's going to happen. Like, like in football, you really just don't know. So, like, whatever you think is going to happen, sometimes the opposite happens. So, like, you really, you can be the biggest expert. You can do all the studying and things just weird happen all the time. But I really don't know how good both of these teams are. I think Green Bay might be like, I don't want to call them the worst number two seed, but I feel like as far as the number two seeds go, I've seen Green Bay have some really good teams. I've seen them in 07 with Brett Favre. I've seen them back in the day with 96 with Brett Favre. I've seen them in um, 2011 with Aaron Rodgers. They were 15-1. I've seen them win the Super Bowl 2010 as a wildcard team. So I've seen them have really, really good teams. I don't think this is one. I don't think their offense is is good. It's not really as explosive. They still have Aaron Rodgers, so maybe they can rest on those laurels and just say, oh, we got Aaron Rodgers. We can ride him all the way. But I just don't know if they could, can do that, honestly. So, And uh, defensively, they're good. They can get after the quarterback. But again, I think Russell Wilson could easily go in there. What, what the, I don't care what the weather is. I mean, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, they're used to playing in cold weather. So it's not like, you know, you get that Green Bay stigma. You get that, oh, January football in Green Bay. It's cold outside. You know, you get a team out there. You get the Saints out there. Sure. Like, you get a team that plays in the dome like Minnesota. Like, sure, you can get them. But Seattle isn't scared of the cold at all. So I could definitely see Seattle winning this game. And again, I don't think it really matters. I mean, it matters to win, to get to the NFC Championship game, obviously. But uh, Seattle has been here, I mean, since 2012. Like, Seattle has been in the mix pretty much every year. So you, you can never count them out. You can't really count out a team that has a star quarterback and a really, really good coach. So, yeah. So, yeah, we're going to see what happens this weekend. Um, I'll do my recap on Monday. Again, only... Only thing I would really be surprised about would be Houston beating Kansas City. If Houston beat Kansas City, I'd be really, really surprised. The rest of the games, I, I really could see going either way. So, um, pretty much from the first game to the fourth game. But we'll see. But, again, I think Baltimore is the best team in the AFC. But I'm definitely looking. Honestly, I really hope Kansas City and Baltimore win. Only because I'm looking forward to that matchup. That would just be a fun matchup to watch. It would be so fun to watch Patrick Mahomes go against Lamar Jackson. Like, uh, Patrick Mahomes going against that Ravens defense. Like, all those good corners they got. You know, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and Earl Thomas is the safety. It would just be really fun to watch that. So, so please, you two, just take care of your business so we can get that matchup, please. Like, I, I don't want to see any other team play. I don't want to see Houston and Tennessee in the AFC Championship game. I just don't. So. But, um... And I think in the NFC, San Fran's clearly the best team in the league. Well, in the NFC at least. But Minnesota, they're playing really well right now. So you never know. But I definitely think the winner of this game will be going to Super Bowl 54. Are we at now? 54, yes. So, so yeah. That's all my thoughts on the NFL. Um, That's a wrap. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up now. Thank you for listening, guys. Again gonna watch some sports we're gonna watch the best weekend of sports go sixers yeah hopefully the eagles find a new offensive coordinator soon find a good one maybe do Staley, maybe not but we'll see what happens this weekend in football 
uh peace y'all i'm gonna head out and remember it's just a game